Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. It's good to see you, those who are here in the house. It's good to see you, those who are in their own house. Uh, It's good to know that you're there with us. Um, I, I was inspired during that time of worship. I, I, you know, like, I, I don't often um, put together, uh, like, a song set, right? Like, that, that's Scott, and that, he does that. And, um, but, I, but I recognize the thread throughout the song set. And, uh, and, I, and I really uh, found myself thinking, man, like, just as much as I'm going to get up there and preach, the, the worship has already preached. It's, al- it's already communicated the gospel truth. It's already tied together the entire theme of, uh, of our cry to the Holy Spirit to change us. And so uh, let's pray together one more time as I, as I get ready to deliver the word that the Lord has given me. Father, would you allow your spirit to descend in a way that awakens our soul, alivens our hearts, calls our ears attentive. But Father, if if all that happened and there was no response, well, Father, you say in Scripture that if, if we won't respond, that the rocks will cry out, that your the rest of your creation will groan for you. God, I pray that here this morning, Wherever we're at, literally and, and uh, whatever's going on inside of us, God, I pray that through the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit, that we will be changed. Speak your word this morning. Pray in the power of the Spirit of God. Amen. When we start talking about the Holy Spirit, and we, you know, we're halfway through, we got last week and this week, and we got two more weeks, and, and I'll kind of wrap up our four-week series on the Holy Spirit. But when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, um, I find myself attentive to where we see the Spirit of God at work in the world around us on the day-to-day. Not just like what am I hearing on Sunday morning or what am I, what am I singing on Sunday morning, but, but, but God, where do we see you at work? And, I, you know, I, I think of all kind of places and I think of all kind of things. I, I think of people crying out in the midst of, of devastation and, and the spirit of God bringing peace. I think of just recently those who were crying out as a result of of crime and, and, and casualty of death, and, 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 God, and, and we cry out to God, God, just bring, bring your peace. God, bring some response, Lord. And, and we see the people of God like beginning to, to rally their voices together and beginning to shout out for God. And I imagine it's in those spaces where there's uh, Pastor Charlie in the midst of the, the uh, welcome this morning. He, 
He, he, he, he said the word unity. I imagine it's in those spaces where there's unity in the body, where the body comes together and says, God, we, we need you, that it's in those moments and in those spaces that we see and experience the Holy Spirit, that we see God uh, doing something that can only be God who's doing it. It's, it's beyond what you or I could put together. It's beyond the response that you or I could give. And so this morning, I want to walk us through three easy points that are going to come from three different passages, and all of those points together are going to respond to this question. God, will you change me? God, will you change me? And I want to invite you to pray a dangerous prayer while I'm preaching. God, will you change me? God, will you change me? I mean, if you would, if you would begin to utter those words, maybe, maybe, maybe you first think about them in your head and, and then you, you, you ponder them in your heart, but, but if you would begin to allow those words to, to manifest themselves on your lips, God, will you change me? Now, now, the way that you're inviting God to change you is going to be very different for each one of us. The area of life that you're saying, hey, God, will you change me, that he brings to your mind as you say that is very different. Matter of fact, it'll never be the same. It'll never be the same. It'll never be the same for you five days from now, five weeks from now, five months from now. Is that five weeks and five? Yeah, yeah, five, five, five. You know what I'm saying? Keep going. Like, it will never be the same because the reality is when we invite God to change us, when we invite God to be at work in our lives, he doesn't leave us the same. He doesn't leave us the same. So if you're going to follow along, you're going to try to take some notes. The first thing I want to say to us this morning is the Holy Spirit is a gift giver. He is a gift giver. If you're going to take notes, go ahead and write that down. The Holy Spirit is a gift giver. And w w when I say that, you might think to yourself, well, what kind of gifts does the Holy Spirit give? Like, I, you know, if you're a young person, you're thinking of birthdays and Christmas. You're thinking your tooth came out and you want something special, right? You got all these ideas. I got you, Elizabeth. You got all these ideas of what you think a gift would look like. But, but when I say the Holy Spirit is a gift giver, I'm thinking back to the passage that Jackson read to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn back there. We'll look at that together in a second. The, the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives are gifts that equip us, are gifts that ready us, are gifts that, that, that allow us to live into the appointments that God has for us. You know, in the church, we talk about the word gifts a lot. We reference things like, like, like skills that have been acquired. Matter of fact, um, go ahead and throw your hand up if you can think of a gift that has continued to improve in your life, right? Some, a skill that you have that you've gotten better at over time. Anybody can think of anything like that? Come on, put your hands up high so everybody knows they're not alone. You can think of something that you've gotten better at, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, 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 right? I know it's true. Like, think about it from the youngest age to the oldest age. Like, like the little ones, when they come out, right, they're not, they're not walking, they're not crawling, they're not rolling over, but day after day, they get a little bit better at each thing, and before you know it, you're chasing after them, and before you know it, they're outrunning you, right? Amen? Amen? We all understand that, right? You don't believe me? You don't believe me? There's a bunch of young ones up here. They want to race any of you. Any of you, matter of fact, hands down, all of you, right? So, so th there's some things about them that are just kind of 
gotten better over time. They've gotten better at, right? Now, you say, well, Pastor Ray, I don't, I don't really know that that's a gift. All right, well, that's a really simple explanation of gift, but you can take that a little bit further if you want. You can take that model and stretch that a little bit further. When we talk about gifts in the church, we also speak about like the natural giftings that we have, things that, that we, we were just wired to do. I didn't have to practice it. It was just like it was given to me, right? Just something that was just kind of naturally about who I am. Now, now, how many of you can think of something like that? Something you just say like, man, I was just, I was just naturally good at this. It, was, it just happened to me. Anybody got anything like that? You don't, I'm not going to ask you what it is, but go ahead and let some people know that you're not the only one in the room who's got something like that, right? Right? All right, cool. Like, I've got a couple of friends who are naturally gifted athletes, right? Like, they, you, could, you could walk up to them and say, we just invented a new game, and it involves a ball. And before you could finish explaining it, they'd be really good at it. Right? They're just naturally gifted in that way. I thought of that because I see Michaela sitting over there with a the basketball. She's ready. She's ready to hoop with anybody who's next. She's got, she's got next on the Right, but there's some natural giftings. Now, now you can say, okay, well, Pastor Ray, can we go further than just like you know, like sports and analogies like that? Like, is there something deeper to it than that? And I would say, yes, there is. When we think about those natural giftings, we also have to think about this. We have a responsibility for what we'll do with the gifts that the Lord has given us. Now we're going to get personal for a minute, right? Every one of us has a responsibility to God. And to man, to steward the gifts the Lord has given us, no matter what those gifts are. We are one body, and as one body, we are at our best when every part of the body is functioning at its... Y'all didn't get that? Let's try it again. We are one body, and as one body, we are at our best when every member of the body is functioning at its best. That's right, right? So when you're functioning at your fullest capacity, at your highest level, then we as a body are at our best, right? We understand this in the analogy of the body, right? Like, um, I stubbed my toe. I have nine others. Cadence, how many toes do I have? I have ten, that's right. And I stubbed one of them. I stubbed one of them. And I stubbed one of them. And when I stubbed my toe, I had nine others. But because I had one toe that was stubbed, I still walked with a little bit of a limp, right? I still remembered the pain every time I stepped down. Now, I had nine other toes that were ready to carry the load, but I had one that was reminding me that it wasn't functioning at full capacity, right? And that is true for every one of us when we think about being a part of the body. The Lord has gifted us, and he has created us in very natural ways to be really, really good at something. And as a result, we need to steward that in a way that will improve the body. The scripture shows us that our gifts come from the Holy Spirit. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's what it says, um, starting in, I'm gonna start in verse four. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. The same Spirit gives them out. The same Spirit is the one who freely gives those gifts. There are different kinds of service, but they all come from the same God. There are different kinds of work, but all of them, uh, but, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God who is at work. Where do the gifts come from? 
Do they come from you? Ed, if you work really hard, will you finally get good enough? If you strive far enough, if you run hard enough, if you do enough push-ups, will you finally get good enough? No, the gifts come from the Spirit of God. It is God himself who freely distributes the gifts that he has designed. Watch me. Look up here for me real quick. Even if you're writing something down, look up here real quick. I want you to get this one. God freely distributes the gifts that he discerns are best for you. It is God who decided who you are. It is God who designed you to be who you are. It is God who dreamt up the way in which you would operate. And then he gifted you to be able to do just that. He gifted you to be able to live into the reality of who you are that he has uniquely designed you to be. There's no one else like you. There's no one else that has the gift that you have. There's no one else who can bring the offering you bring. There's no one else who can return to God all that you can return to God because it is solely you who he designed to fit this part. How many people have a key ring at home that has a thousand keys on it? Come on, anybody got a key ring that's got keys for days? Come on, put your hand up high. I want to know that I am not alone. Man, I, I've got some key rings that just have keys upon, I think keys have had keys on my key ring. Y'all see what I'm saying? Like, you know, and you know what I'm thinking about right now, right? I'm thinking about the fact that a lot of those keys look alike, don't they? Now, now there's some that are just like way different than all the rest, but there's a lot of them that just look alike. And you walk up to a door and you discern, okay, I know I need a key that faces to the left. And that, you know, that, that, that looks like it's about that shape. And you look at your key ring, you're like, man, I got like 12 of those keys. But what happens? Do all 12 of those keys get locked? Not a chance. Not a chance. You, put, you, you might be able to get, of those 12 keys that all look like, you might be able to get four of them actually into the lock. But even if you get four of them into the lock, you still only can turn the lock with one key, the right key. And I guess that's what I'm trying to say to you today. Like, you might be sitting here thinking, well, I, I don't even know what my part is, and I want you to get this. God has uniquely gifted you. No one else can do it. Only you. It is God. It is God's design for you. Now, you, I'm going to help you understand that more in a little bit, but, but just hang on to this, that God is the gift giver, and he's given these gifts uniquely to you, even if there's somebody else who can do something similar, even if there's someone else who, 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 can, who can walk a similar path. There's no one else who can do exactly what you can do. There's no one else who's been designed and uniquely made by God for that purpose. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians, and uh, uh, Chapter 2, it might be 4, but it's verse 10. I got that. Ephesians. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and Paul says to the church, he says, he says, you are God's handiwork or God's craftsmanship. You are God's masterpiece. You are, you are the one who God designed this way. He created you in Jesus for what? To do good works. And then he says this, that he has already prepared for you to do, that God designed you, created you, unearthed you, follow that one along, that takes you all the way back to Genesis where God reaches down and picks up some dirt, he unearthed you, right, 
Y'all didn't get that? Man, I thought that one was good. All right, thank, thank you, Tom. You with me? All right, cool. So, so you you were God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works that He has prepared in advance for you. In other words, God has pre-thought. He has pre-thought about the great things that He would do through you, and then He gave you everything you needed in order to do it. God pre-thought the great things that you would be a part of, and then he gave you the gifts and the skills and the talents and the people around you for you to be able to accomplish the works of the Father. So how many of us look as if the, the, the road ahead of us is too tough? I can't do it. How many of us at times say, God, like, God this got to be somebody else who's better at it to come along the way? You know, you know we, we doubt the reality that this is the path that God has laid out for us. I want to tell you today that Paul says that, that, that God thought of it, he planned it, he prepared it, he gifted you for it, and he sent you on it. Now, you've got the road to go, and you have all that you need through the gifts and the power that come through the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that God himself knows the plans for you? Do you believe that God himself desires you to use your gifts in ways that would grow and mature the kingdom of God? Young people, do you believe that this world will be a better place as you exercise your knowledge of who God is. As you let other people around you understand that you are a child of God, as you let other people around you understand that there's a reason why you respond the way you do, and it's because God is at work in your life. Do you believe that that will change the season around you? Do you believe that will change your neighborhood, your home, your school, your block? Do you believe that you, through the power of God and through saying yes, stewarding the gifts that God has given you, that you will be a dramatic influence in the circles that the Lord has allowed you to be in? I mean, if you don't believe that, I want to say it over you so you will, that God can use you, that God can use you, that he's gifted you. And as we return those gifts to God, that he will use those gifts to influence all of the circles around you. You believe that today? Second thing I want to say to us this morning comes from, uh, comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to give you the point. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old creation, the old has gone. The new is here. Let me say it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Many of us need to hear this this morning. Point number two. He confirms there are no U-turns. He confirms. The Holy Spirit confirms that there are no U-turns. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get defeated by the voice in my own head. 
I can, I can begin to yield to this voice that says things like, oh, Ray, you always, dot, dot, dot. Oh, Ray, you never, dot, dot, dot. And I can, I can think back to my low points of life. I can think back to the mistakes that I made. I'm not going to ask you to, to identify your mistakes, but I would imagine that most of us in the room can think back to mistakes as if those mistakes were the defining factors of who we are. And we begin to believe in our own mind that because of these past mistakes or areas of our life, because of our history, that God no longer has a plan for our future. And we begin to doubt the things that I'm saying as we say that, that God has a plan for, prepared for us and he has great things ahead of us and that he's already pre-planned them for us to be able to live in them. And as a result, we buy this lie. That every time I mess up, I've actually just gone back to being who I once was. I want to tell you that Paul says to the church in Corinth that you could never go back to be who you once were. You can never go back. You can never go back. Why? Because the old is dead. It's gone. It's not something that's lingering that I can return to. It's not something that's a little, a little ways away that I can run back to. It is gone. It is abolished from our lives. Somebody needs to hear that today. You cannot fall back into who you once were because that is gone. Dead. And when Christ resurrected, what came for us something new that you have been made brand new fully complete brand new you're not marked you're not marred you're not defined you're not you, 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 your future is not positioned because of you are brand new the holy spirit confirms that in our lives that there are no turn backs we 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 can't fall back to it we can't slide back to it we can't distance ourselves from god enough that we get back to it there is nowhere to go back to because the reality is we are now one with god that he now lives in us and as a result the old is gone the history is behind us so the next time i look in the mirror and i say i can't because i once i need to be reminded to day that God says you can because I'm in you, that God says that you no longer are because you are made new, you are a new creation, that you are fully clothed and equipped by God to live into the reality of being brand new. Somebody needs to lean into that today. The fact that you are still uh, you know, ingrained in old patterns and you need to let those chains be broken. You need to let go of those things. That doesn't mean that you're still the old person. It means that you're clinging to something that God has put to death. So let's let go of that and let's resurrect with Christ. I mean, let's, let's receive what Jesus has for us. Let's receive the power of the Holy Spirit that has sealed our forever with him. When God says, when Paul says to the church that you're made new, that the old is gone and now you're made new, he he literally is saying you're sealed by God for eternity, forever, that you're made new with God forever, not just for a temporary moment and not just when you're doing right, that God has made you new. He has sealed you and promised you forever, even in the moments of question 
doubt, confusion, sliding. Even in the moments where you're thinking of the ways of the former, God has completely abolished the old and brought about the brand new. So what does that mean? It means there's no turning back. It means for you and for me, there, there, there's no way that we can draw back to the old. That, that the way we go from here is new. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor Ray, how do we get there? And that's where I want to land our message today. The third thing I see when, when we cry out, Holy Spirit, change me. The Holy Spirit brings about conviction while regenerating our hearts. The Holy Spirit brings about conviction while regenerating our hearts. I don't have enough time to get into it, but if you read through Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is the psalm that David wrote after he was caught in adultery. Y'all remember the story. David was the king. He had everything he ever needed. He caught his eye on something that wasn't his or someone that wasn't his, and he took it as if it was. And as a result, he, he, he stepped out of, out of the, the desires of God. He stepped out of alignment with God. And when he did that, he uh, had moments where he tried to cover it up. He tried to make it right and, and enter the prophet Nathan. The prophet Nathan visits with, uh, with King David. And, uh, and he says to David, he tells David this parable story. And, uh, and he tells David this parable story. David gets infuriated. And he says, find that person and put him down. And the prophet Nathan says, wait one second. And he grabs the mirror and he turns around and he looks at David. And he says, you're looking at him. And as David stares into the mirror and sees his reflection, he's overcome by the spirit of God. Because the God is beginning to convict his heart for the wrongs, for the ways in which he's gone that aren't aligned with who God has created him to be. And he pens the words in Psalm 51. And as he pens the words in Psalm 51, what you hear is David confessing his heart. But that confession came from a place of conviction from God first. And then he moves to a place of saying, God, would you, would you remake me? Would you regenerate this? Would you renew my heart? Jesus picks up a very similar thing in, in, uh, when he gives his revelation to John. In, uh, in the book of Revelation, and he says in chapter, in chapter 5, he says, um, he, who is, he who was seated on the throne said this, I am now making everything new. I'm now making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. I'm making everything new. I'm regenerating. I'm renewing the heart. David's heart was renewed. My heart has been renewed. I want to ask you today, has your heart been renewed? Have you allowed the Spirit of God to bring conviction for the things that don't look like God? And have you allowed God to then regenerate, renew your heart? You say, well, Pastor Ray, what does that look like? Well, in the Old Testament, they describe, this, they describe the process as refining. And, and that idea of refining comes from the process of a refiner's fire. Anybody know about the refiner's fire? Anybody know about that? Let me tell you a little bit about that real quick. The, the story comes from people trying to purify metal. 
right? And so it happens like this. All of these different forms, I, I need a scientist to explain this. All of these different forms of metal, or, or get, y'all didn't know that, that our worship pastor is also a scientist, right? Um, all these different forms of, uh, of metal are gathered together, and, and they're put into this, this uh, I don't know what that thing's called, but, but, but it's like a big jaw thing like this, right? And, and it's on a, oh, here you go, compare it to making s'mores. Right, y'all. Everybody understands that, right? You know, like you know, get the long stick and you put it in the fire, right? You know, like yeah. All right, so that's the idea. But this, 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 this big ball kind of thing holds all of these forms of metal, and they stick it all in there, right? And 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 they turn the heat up on the fire, and it gets hot, really, really hot, and it gets hot enough that the metals begin to melt, and the ones that are not pure metals melt away. And they, and they melt away. And what, what's left at the end of this is this blob of, of, of pure metal, of gold. And, and then the, the, the refiner pulls it out and, and, and he reshapes it. And he puts it back into the fire one more time. And, and now what's charred off is anything that's outside of the form in which you're trying to make of the metal. Why do they do that? Well, they do that because that process requires everything else being burned off, anything that's not pure being, being shed away, and what is left is just the pureness of what was intended in that moment. Job says it like this, but he knows, he's referring to God, but God knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Isaiah says it this way, when you pass through the waters, I, Isaiah, he says it this way, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, the, burned. the flames will not set you Ablaze. He's, he's talking about the refining fire of God and, and, and how that fire, it, it burns away that which doesn't belong, but it, but it doesn't bring harm to that which does. Maybe the question for us today is, God, am I yielding to you to refine me? Am I yielding to you to lead me through a process that would, that would heat up so hot that that which is not of you would burn away. How do, I, how do I do that? Let me end with these three quick, 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 quick suggestions. If you want to seek the Spirit of God to be one, if you want this, if you want to seek the Spirit of God to be one who, who refines you, if you want to seek the Spirit of God to be to be one who renews you, who regenerates you. The first thing you need to do today is yield to the process. Here in Philly, trust the process, right? right? Yield to what God is doing. God, the steps ahead might be hard, but I'll trust you. The things you're asking of me to, to step away from, the things you're asking of me to step into, God, I'll trust you. After I've trusted you with the process, James says it this way. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, 
because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let the perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lack nothing. After I've trusted the process, I'm going to yield myself to the actual refiner. God, I'm going to trust your spirit will be the one who is leading me through that process. I'm going to trust that you're the one who's walking with me when the road seems really, really sketchy. When the fire seems like it's too hot. When, when, when the tides are too high. When the trials are too tough. I'm going to trust, God, that you are with me in that process. Because I believe that if I trust you with that process, if I, if, I, if I lean into your spirit, if I obey what you're asking of me, I believe, Lord God, what will come out on the other side is something that is pure and right and good. And we end by saying, as you trust the process, and you trust that God is with you in the process, you pray fervently. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Friends, I want to be honest with you. Trusting God to do a great work in us is possible because God never fails us. But the temptation will be, as things get tough, to look to our own ability. So, Lord, change me. Change me. Allow me to stop depending on my own. Allow me to start leaning into you. Allow me to trust you with who I am and with what you're asking of me. Allow me to believe that you're going to line up my steps and allow me to run in your direction. Because, Spirit of God, it is only you who can change me. Father God, change us. Allow your spirit to descend upon us and change us. Allow your spirit to do a great work in us that, that renews us, that regenerates us, that brings conviction for the things in our life that don't look like you. Put us in the fire, God. We trust you to hold us in your hand in the fire. And God, burn off, char off anything that's not of you. state that we might be used by you that our gifts that you've given us might be offered to you God that we indeed would have let go of the old and stepped into the reality of the new God you have made us you bragged on what you've made allow us to live into that because we've been changed by your spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song together. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at roxboroughchurch.org 
and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.